My wife does send her love and greetings, and I do hope to have her here next week. Unfortunately, I'm the one that contaminated her, so she's just a few days behind me. And she has uh, been quite sick. Very thankful to the Lord that <clears throat> at this point, this wasn't our last sickness. First Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 again. Please stand with me as we sing, as we read this wonderful passage. <clears throat> Might be good to learn this in music, right? I think that'd be a good deal. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 3. Brethren, let us give our attention to God's word. These are words of life. Verse 1, the word of God. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. By the way, that means money, not greedy for money. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. <clears throat> it means outside the congregation. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Let us remain standing as we unite our hearts in prayer. If you have a health condition that makes it difficult for you to remain standing, please feel free to sit. Otherwise, we will stand together in the presence of our holy God and unite our hearts before his throne. Oh God, Great is thy faithfulness. Thou art great, and thy works among men are great. We love thee, we praise thee. Thou art God, we are not. 
Thou art God. There is none else. Thou art God. Thou dost reign in holiness. Thou dost do thy good pleasure. Every moment, every second of thy holy existence. Thou art never distracted from thy work. Thou hast all power. May we ever trust thee when we get in those difficult providences that thou dost send us. Thou hast all power. No matter how frightening, no matter how joyful, may we ever receive from thy good hand what thou sendest. Father, thou knowest the nations by and large are without thee. It is clear and it is grievous that our nation has said, we will cast them off. We will not have thy bands upon us. And they will not have thy son to rule over them. And we see what that has produced and is producing. The Father, many of us have known for many decades that things were going this way. It is my hope and prayer that thy people are beginning to awaken to the perilous future staring them in the face. Help, O oh God, our weak endeavors. Help us to live shining the light of Christ in the darkness. May we hold forth the glory and beauty of him who loved us and gave himself for us. And may we face our enemies with the knowledge that thou art God. And we can say with the children of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, O king, we will not bow to thy idol. And Lord, we will not bow to this wickedness in our nation. Help us to be the best of citizens. Help us to live and breathe, to do all the good that we can in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. May we be superlative citizens. But help us always to live knowing that we will obey God rather than men. Give us wisdom on how to apply that. And in every situation, give us wisdom. For we know that the very sad political state 
of this nation for years. Has been thy judgment upon a people that will not have thee. And your word makes so abundant. When the king is wicked, the people groan. Help us. Help us in this day to walk with our lovely king. Help us to love our beautiful king, the prince of peace. Regardless of what is around us, may we ever have his peace, which he promised us, in our hearts. May we be a people of peace for the Prince of Peace. And, oh God, how I pray with all of mine heart that thou wouldst give us great discernment as never before. All thy people have shown so little discernment for so long. Help us to distinguish good from evil. And Father, I pray that thou wouldst visit every true church, not only in this city, but in this nation and all around the world, wherever thy regenerate people are gathering. May the power of Christ fall upon them. May they be filled. May those blessed temples of the Spirit know thy power, know thy cleanliness, thy purity, thy holiness. The very power to live according to the word of God and to preach Christ, to live under Christ and to magnify thee with all things. Oh, Father, may thy people press forward as never before with the great and good news that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Oh, Father, get hold of thy people. Oh, Father, as you look upon this little gathering of thy sheep today, how I pray that thou wouldst feed them from thy word. Feed them. Father, help this weak vessel to handle thy word aright. Give me clarity of mind, clarity of expression. Let me confuse none. Let me set no stumbling block before any of thy dear people. But Father, help me with all my heart to set the stumbling block of Jesus Christ before all the lost. To call on them to bow to him before they stumble over him to their destruction. Oh my God, move in the hearts of the lost in this place today. They are immortal souls, a heartbeat away from eternity in judgment. Have mercy upon them today, whether they be children or adults. And Father, for those that thou hast shown thine amazing grace, for those who've been given new hearts, made new creatures, given new life and raised up to walk with thee, Sanctify them by thy word. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And now, O God, may all that we do here today bring thee glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated.
Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, had gone to Macedonia, a region north of Greece. He left Timothy in Ephesus to correct the doctrinal errors that had corrupted the order of the church there and the lives of God's professing people. That is what false doctrine always does. It always corrupts and never produces fruit to God. Paul then wrote a letter that we call 1 Timothy. In it, Paul instructed his younger son in the faith to correct and reform the congregation. A few years before, Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy. <clears throat> before Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, he had written to the Ephesian congregation. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 20, as we have seen, he warned the elders of what was coming. And very sadly, it appears that a few years down the road, what Paul is addressing is exactly what he warned them about. False teachers will rise up even among you and draw people away to themselves. In that Ephesian letter, the apostle encouraged the believers there with this astounding declaration. He said that Jesus, listen carefully. He said that Jesus came and preached peace to you which were afar off, the Gentiles, and to them that were nigh. That's the Jews. Now what Paul is pointing back to is when Christ the incarnate Son of God came into this world, began His earthly ministry, began to preach the kingdom and salvation. That's what he's pointing to. And he said His very purpose in this world was to preach peace. Peace with God. To those that were far off and to those that were nigh. Now therefore, Paul continued in his letter, Ye Gentiles are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, that's the believing Jews, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What stunning words. Are you asleep this morning? You can nap a little later. Do you understand that Paul is encouraging these former pagans... By telling them that they are now the habitation of God. God lives in them. It is his temple. That's overwhelming. It's breathtaking. 
How did these former Gentile pagans become the habitation of God? How did they become a holy temple of the Lord? What did Paul mean by the foundation of the apostles and prophets? And in what way is Christ the chief cornerstone of that building? Well, the answer is actually simple and clear. By the preaching of salvation, by faith alone, in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Preaching the ministry of the word. That's what we're built on. It's just what Jesus was saying to Peter when he said, and upon you, I'm going to build my church. He wasn't saying Peter the man as such. He was talking about the declaration that Peter had just made. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, that's right. And it was God that showed you that. And you didn't figure that out. All right. It is the declaration of Christ. It is the doctrine of who Christ is and what he's done to save sinners. That, that is the foundation upon which we rest. This is the apostles and the prophets. This is what they were used for by the living God in the power of the Spirit. That's how the churches were formed. They were built upon that preaching, that teaching that transforms when the Holy Spirit is at work. So the apostles, the prophets, and Christ himself were spirit-empowered ministers of God's word. No one was saved without hearing them and believing them. No one. Didn't happen. Didn't just fall on somebody. They heard the revelation from God himself. The heavenly report. The heavenly data. The heavenly information that God has given us. That Jesus Christ his son saves sinners. And rules them in his kingdom. That preaching drew pagans out of darkness to the glorious light of Christ. Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is the foundation upon which all believers are built into the dwelling place of God. Do we understand when we believe the words of God... We're not simply having a mental experience. That is true. God does not bypass your mind. He's commanded us to love him with all the heart, soul, and mind. Because in your mind is where you're the most, ultimately, like God or Satan. You believe truth. You understand that truth. You believe that truth. And you walk in that truth. Or you don't. So Christ, when we hear his word faithfully preached, Christ is presented to us. And you believe it or you do not. It is real. 
It is experiential. It is the power of God saving the soul by presenting His Son. Not just a nice lecture. These are words of life. Words of life. Jesus is the foundation upon which all believers are built into the dwelling place of God. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that this little gathering of people to hear, here today is God's neighborhood? Is God's dwelling place? Oh no, he's just way off in heaven somewhere. No, he's not. Whatever heaven is, wherever it is, he's always wanted to be with his people and in his people and in Christ. That's exactly what happens. He's with us. He's in us. Or we're no church. We might be a semi-nice group of people gathering. But we wouldn't be the temple of God. This is God's dwelling place. And every true church across this, the face of this earth is as well. You may look around your neighborhood and say, boy, this is a bad neighborhood. Yep, but in my house, God dwells here. The same thing in yours. We are the presence and representatives of the Almighty. Not because of anything natural to ourselves, but because he's made us new. He dwells within us by the power of his spirit. I should have said I have a fairly extensive introduction this morning. But I want you to stay with me because it's vital to what we want to consider. So Jesus came into the world preaching and teaching his doctrine of salvation. The pardon of sin, the gift of eternal life, and the glories of God's kingdom. He appointed apostles and prophets to preach his doctrine for the conversion of sinners and for the establishment of his churches. This is how he takes over. Do you understand that this is how the kingdom spreads? It's not... Something glittering off in the future as such. It's here. You are part of the kingdom. If you've been born of God's spirit. And you should be living like that right now. Every one of us. Now, let's return to Paul and Timothy for a moment. What happened... What happened when the believing Ephesians were established as a congregation? Prior to that, there was no church in Ephesus. Just a bunch of pagans. And all of a sudden, something began to happen in their midst. Jesus sent his ministry of the word into their city. And they began to preach the crucified and resurrected Christ and miracle of miracles. Pagans began to forego, to cast off 
their idols and believed on this person that they'd never seen, never heard, and wouldn't see in this world. How crazy is that? Idols are something you can see. You can go hug them. You can get down on your hands and knees and kiss their feet until your lips bleed. Where's Jesus? He's in the hearts of those who repent and believe. So what happened? (laughs) What happened when the believing Ephesians were established as a congregation? When God set that glorious outpost of grace, that wonderful colony from heaven right there in pagan land, right with Diana, the feminist god of the Greeks. Well, here's what happened. Paul said that Christ gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, listen carefully, and some pastors And teachers. Why did Jesus do that? Paul tells us. For the perfecting of the saints. Imperfect people chosen by God to help perfect his people. There's so many things about the kingdom that are difficult to get a hold of. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He took men who in and of themselves were still wrestling with their own flesh. But he gifted them and he made them his representatives in those congregations, in that congregation. And he did the same in other congregations. What? He gave them the ministry of the word to perfect them. That means you can't just sit and listen to sermons for 20 years and still be the same you were 20 years ago and think that somehow you're a believer. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, that means the building up of the body. This is a work site. The Lord's at work here today, building He's edifying. And there's a goal to that building. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is that not good news? That's why Churches exist. This is the Lord's hothouse. This is where he's growing his plants. This is where the vine is growing and budding and being, starting to put out fruit. He's a, good, he's a good farmer. He's a good horticulturalist. He knows how to dig into dung and to get the fruit. That's what he's doing in every true church. It's not just a gathering of people that have a bunch of things in common that like to get together and even put up with long sermons. 
But people who are coming to be fed, to be pruned, and to bear the fruit of the kingdom in this world. Do you hear that? As they're doing it, as, as Christ is doing this through the ministry of the preaching, his people are hearing, and there are times when it's like, oh, oh, how wonderful. And then a little later, it's like, oh, ow, man, that one hurt. All right? And all of that is the love of Christ as he fashions his people like himself. And there's not much on us that looks like Christ. So there's always a lot of work for him to do. That's why this is a workplace, even though it is a place of worship. This is where God lives, and this is where he, he works with his people to go out there and bear fruit. How does it happen? The preaching of the word. <clears throat> by preaching and teaching God's living word. Furthermore, Paul told the believers at Rome, for whom he did foreknow, those that God foreknew, he also, God also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you believe that? I mean, when I say that, I really mean it. Do you believe that before God said, let there be light, he had a plan. And he ordained everything necessary for that plan to come off exactly the way he wants it to. You believe that? And do you believe that it has to do with people being converted and sanctified, made more and more like Christ, bearing fruit in their lives. And the end goal is to be like Christ. Now, am I describing you? I'm describing biblical Christians. Not a cult, not a new movement. Plain and simple, what Paul said to the Ephesians. We haven't strayed away from the Ephesians. <clears throat> so, if we put the Ephesian and Roman passages together, we may conclude the following. God has eternally purposed to make the people of God like the Son of God by the preaching of the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God. That's it. That's the Bible. God's eternal purpose. I'll repeat that. We can conclude just from those two passages, but there are many more that support it. If we put the Ephesian and Roman passages together, we may conclude that God has eternally purposed to make the people of God like the Son of God by the preaching of the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. 
Christ rules his churches by his word. He orders them by his word. He disciplines them by his word. And he transforms them by his word. All of grace, all of Christ, and all by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural work that manifests itself by changing sinners into not only the lovers of Christ, but those who will follow him even to their own death. That's what he does. This is a workplace. We're not hearing the saws and the hammers and all of that. Some of us need a jackhammer. <laughs> Talking about here behind the pulpit. But I am telling you without any hesitation, God's at work. So what's the point? <laughs> there are moments in every sermon where it's perfectly okay before the Lord to look at the pastor and at least mentally go, so what? So what? Well, I'm glad that you asked that because I want to tell you. What does all this have to do with Paul's first letter to Timothy? Everything. The Ephesian church once understood what Paul wrote to him in the pages of the Ephesian letter. They understood the glorious, eternal, sovereign purpose of God. They heard and saw and read about the glories of Christ and shedding his blood and the power of the Spirit drawing them out of darkness and unto Christ. They heard all that. They knew all that. They got it from Paul. But something happened. They started listening to somebody else. The ministry of the word was corrupted. False teachers that Paul warned about intruded themselves into the congregation. Some of them even rose up in the congregation. They understood the truth. But false teachers were now leading them astray. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to reform that congregation. And a central part of that reform was, now listen carefully. Hopefully this will be the lights on moment. The central part, a central part of that reform was recognizing and appointing God-qualified elders. That's what this passage is all about. In the face of false teachers, Paul is saying, no, God appoints, God qualifies certain men. These guys are not they. And Timothy, I want you appointing men, finding them and appointing them. Here's their photo. Here's what they look like. And he said, put these men and these men only in the leadership of that church. Why? Because they will restore 
the ministry of God's truth. And that's what the church needed. We can put it this way. Paul was teaching Timothy to teach and inform the congregation how to identify a pastor after God's heart. That's what this, this is what this means. This is fulfillment of God's promises through Jeremiah hundreds of years before. So, our message is entitled, A Bishop Must Be Blameless. May, may God the Father pour out his rich blessings upon you. I'm asking that. I'm asking that God blesses you, sends his spirit to work with you in his workplace today. And let me tell you what, if you all, all got up and left, I'd have to preach this because I've got to preach this to me. May God the Father pour out his rich blessings upon you. May Christ Jesus make his power and his presence known. And may the Holy Spirit illumine us to understand and empower us to obey the words of life. Now let us now begin with a clarification. <clears throat> Finally, our first head, right? If you were taking notes and you couldn't keep up, just under the part on your outline that says <clears throat> introduction, you can just put long introduction. Now, there's a reason. A church taught by an apostle fell away. How is that possible? Well, all you have to do is read the book of Revelation. And out of seven churches, Jesus rebukes five of them. Because we'll go astray unless God in his mercy pours out his grace and helps us. But here's the thing about the ministry of the word. Are you ready? It's not just about information. It's about transformation. God expects us, if we bear the name of his holy son, to live according to what his holy son commands. Remember the Great Commission? Teaching them to observe all things. Observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So, here's our clarification. Bishops, elders, shepherds, and pastors are the same work in Christ's congregations. And we have many friends and loved ones in other denominations that would disagree with us strongly. <clears throat> but as we have studied it over the years, as those who hold to our confession and those who have walked in that over the years have seen, <clears throat> we believe that a patient, a clear an intense study of the word comparing scripture with scripture 
reveals that bishops, elders, shepherds, and pastors are the same office with different names. The sacred text says, this is a true saying. If a man, now that's in contrast, if a man is in contrast with chapter 2 where he's just forbidden women to teach. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Thus far, we have learned what a bishop is. A bishop is an overseer. That's what the word means. He's an overseer. It doesn't mean a man with a, 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 a black outfit and a white collar. Whether one wears that or not, that's what not makes it, that doesn't make him a bishop. We've learned that a bishop is an overseer, a man engaged in supervising, watching over, and caring for the Lord's people as one who serves. Because that's what Jesus did. You call me master and Lord. He said, that's exactly right. But I'm among you as one that serves. And an elder must be one that serves. We've also learned that a bishop rules in Christ's congregation, but only as a representative of the head of the church. And that's Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews has said, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. That's the idea of watching, the overseer. They're watching for your soul. But I'm an American. Nobody tells me what to do. Y'all, where's my gun? Right? That's what happens in churches all the time. They don't always mention the gun part. But they hate the authority that God has put over them. Very often proving themselves to be goats, not sheep. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The overseer's rule is to be one of love, humility, and service with the goal of bringing God's children to a mature walk with Christ. That's what we just read that Paul had written to the Ephesians. I've given you these men that I've gifted to bring you the ministry of my word, to help you grow up to be like Christ. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the, the bishop is not a perfect man. He's never going to be a perfect man in this world, but he is a qualified man. And that's what sets him apart from any other believer. Not because he himself is special in himself. But the Lord gave him gifts and said, now use them under my aegis. He's not perfect, but he's qualified. John Calvin commented, quote, It is not any kind of work, but excellent. 
and therefore toilsome and full of difficulty as it actually is. It is no light matter to be a representative of the Son of God in discharging an office of such magnitude, the object of which is to erect and extend the kingdom of God, to procure the salvation of souls which the Lord himself hath purchased with his own blood, and to govern the church which is God's inheritance. Close quote. Augustine said pointedly that the word overseer is, quote, the title of a work, not of an honor. Now, what he means by that is not that it isn't an honorable work, but that it's not like being presented with an award. You know, I've, I've, I've got 150,000 holes in one. Oh, here's your reward. It's not like that. It's not an honor placed on men that we just try to have so that people can look at us. So he's saying it's a work, not an honor, so that he who loves to govern rather than to do good is no bishop. Close quote. I'm going to tell you what. There are a lot of people that just want to tell other people what to do. And they manage to get into the ministry. It's not that they love to do good and see souls saved and souls shaped to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. They just want to tell people what to do. used to be an old saying that if you can't do anything else, then go into the ministry. Right? Because it's the way a lot of people think. Well, what do you do? You talk once a week or twice a week? Big deal. Well, I mean, what, are you fishing all the rest of the time? As a clear, and one of the reasons that kind of thing happens and that kind of talk comes out is because people are absolutely ignorant of what God expects from a local church. Ignorant. The church isn't something you can turn on and turn off with a button. It's the living body of Jesus Christ. And how you treat it is how you really are treating Christ. It's inescapable. It's inescapable. This is his blood-bought body. So now consider this. As the history of the Christian church progressed, some adopted the view that a bishop was a single leader with pastoral and administrative responsibilities over a geographical area that included many local churches. Not that one guy over all these churches. And that we see that in certain denominations. This idea of an office in the church of a single man over a community of local churches was well established by the second century. It's been around a long time. We see this today in Roman Catholic, Episcopalian, Lutheran, and other denominations. However, we are convinced that this is not the way the New Testament writers used the word. Luke records in Acts 20, verse 17, 
that from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now that's verse 17. Called the elders of the church. Yet in verse 28, Paul says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. He's saying this directly to the elders that he's called. And to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, bishops. Exactly the same group, elders and the bishop. Same group. <clears throat> over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus loves the church. Brethren, do we? Do we love? Love. Not tolerate. Do we love what Jesus loves? He loves his church. When you don't love his church, you are not loving him. And I will tell you something that I know some of you will disagree with. But your profession of faith is no better than your relationship to a local church. Why? Because Jesus saves his people and puts them in those congregations and grows them to be like him. That's his method. Not parachurch organizations, but the church. So, <clears throat> Paul also wrote, to, uh, wrote in a letter to Titus in chapter 1, verse 5, for this cause left I thee in Crete, <laughs> left, left Timothy in Ephesus to wage war, and he left Titus in Crete to wage war. And the folks there were so bad and had such a bad reputation, Paul just said, well, you know, all that's true. Now rebuke them sharply so they'll be sound in the faith. Paul must not have gotten the notice to be more loving. <clears throat> so when describing the qualifications an elder of an elder in verse, chap, uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. Oh, I, I left out one passage. In verse 7, he says, For a bishop must be blameless. He's giving, he's giving the same characteristics in Titus as he did for uh, what was happening with Timothy in, in Ephesus. Because of the same thing. False teachers everywhere, like termites, eating up the frame of the house. So, Titus begins, Paul speaks to Titus in verse 17, saying that this is... The, uh, the qualifications of elders, and yet when he's describing those qualifications, he says, for a bishop must be blameless. He's describing exactly the same people. Now, we could do this for quite some time. We really could, and, and I won't hold you to that. There was a liar in my pulpit I hope it is not I. 
I'd be thrilled to think that it was 1025 right now. <clears throat> but it's dead in water. <laughs> if we can find a battery for next week, that'll be great. Oh, skip that. All right. So, I want us to get a hold of this. This is crucial. These passages are telling you that here's, here's elders and here are bishops and they're the same people they're be, that are being referred to. And we could uh, look at that in much greater detail, but I think that should be enough. It's quite obvious. This is why I, I, I regularly say <laughs> words matter. Words matter. <clears throat> So these and other examples give evidence that, that the different words used, bishop, elder, describe different aspects of the same leadership function within a local congregation. You could, you could have called uh, Brother Stephen or, or, or Pastor Clarence, uh, Bishop, Bishop Simmons. Sounds nice. You know, or Elder Simmons, or Pastor Simmons, or here is, here is Brother Clarence Simmons. He's my shepherd. All that is correct. It's just that each has a different aspect of the function. It's all overlapped. It's the same person, but it's telling you something more about them. <clears throat> so Bishop points to oversight. Elder points to age, experience, and maturity. Pastor and shepherd point to care, feeding, protecting. And, and those descriptions are not exclusive. You know, that's just generally the way they're used. But there are times when you read of the bishop feeding the flock. It's the same person and the same work. So when Paul says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, we may understand him to say, if a man desires to be a bishop or an elder or a pastor or a shepherd, he desires a good work. Work. Now, having declared that, a bishop must be blameless. We're finally at that point. We can now look at how we identify what was promised through Jeremiah and actually Ezekiel as well. That there would come a day, a glorious time, when God would put faithful men to lead his people. Because in Jeremiah's day and Ezekiel's day, they were leading them astray or had led them astray. And that was both aspects of the shepherd, both the civil magistrates and the religious leaders. So we actually move to verse two and verse two plainly declares a bishop then must be blameless. That's all built on what has just been said. If you want this good work, here's what you must be. Titus chapter one, verse seven says the same. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. Before we consider the word blameless, it is essential to consider the verb translated must be. Very easy for us to skip over things like that. It's a very powerful, it's a very strong 
verb. <clears throat> the exegetical dictionary of the New Testament says that the Greek designates an unconditional necessity. In the New Testament, statements with it are normally understood more or less as divine decrees. Study of words in the word of God is essential. In other words, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's this way and there's not another way. We see this when Jesus said to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Same word. He meant that there were no other options if you want to enter the kingdom of God. No other way to live, to walk in the kingdom of God, but to be born again. You must be born again. No other options. You're not getting to heaven unless you were born again. The Holy Spirit makes clear that it is necessary and that's exactly what other lexicons define this word to mean. It is necessary. A man who would be a bishop must have these qualifications. If not, he's not God's man. Oh, but I like him. Like him. Love him. Fellowship with him. Read good books together. Go out and preach together. Go out and, and minister together. But he's not an elder. The first requirement in Christ's list then, the necessary requirement of qualifications for an overseer is that he must be blameless. <clears throat> He must be blameless. Blameless appears to be the idea that governs all that follows. There's a little disagreement between commentators about this. They would say this is simply the first of the list, and it's a long list, depending on how you count them. Others would say, well, that's actually a very generic word, and everything that follows it is specific. And so... Uh, I, I, would, I would throw my hat in with those who know far better than I that uh, if that's the case, then quite likely the things that follow the word blameless define blameless. Everything that comes, husband of one wife, etc., etc., etc. If a man is these things, he's blameless. But... Uh, no serious matter of doctrine stands or falls on that particular view. <clears throat> now, Paul's point seems to be that if he possesses all the characteristics that follows, we might look at him, think about him, and say, this is what Christ, through the pen of Paul, told us to look for. This guy is it. If you're not Using the spectacles of Scripture. On what basis 
does a church call a man to preach to them the word of God? I will tell you what it is. Feelings, not God's word. Now, let me be clear as much as possible in the short time that I have left. Blameless cannot mean sinless. I've, I've known churches or churches, uh, groups of people that were attempting to be churches and they pressed these things so stringently. And of course, none of them was gifted to preach or to lead a congregation. And they were so stringent about each of these things that, as I mentioned before, nobody could have been their pastor. Paul couldn't have been their pastor. And I heard some of the ways they interpreted, yeah, your interpretation matters. And you can have bad ones. Or you can have good ones. We want the good ones. So that we know how to walk according to what God says. So what, what's taking place here is this. Blameless, though it may sound like it to some of us, is not sinless. Let's talk about that. <clears throat> Blameless cannot mean sinless, free from all internal and external sin, for then no man living could possibly qualify. Not possible. You won't have a pastor. <clears throat> Once again, we must approach matters like this carefully, not in a hot-headed way, not because, oh, well, you know, a famous preacher so-and-so said this. Well, he might be right. Not saying that he isn't. What I'm saying is, do you know if he is or not? Because even famous preacher A, B, or C can be wrong. And the history of the church has proven this. There aren't any perfect preachers. There aren't any perfect pastors. So the Greek word from which we derive the word blameless means above criticism, beyond reproach. In other words, to a certain degree, it means like being uh, morally covered with, with Teflon. Stuff doesn't, the accusations can't stick to you. No sinful human man is above criticism in an absolute sense. No human being. And I'll tell you when men cannot take criticism, legitimate criticism, they're often showing that they might not be qualified. The wisdom from above is easy to entreat. When you can't talk to the pastor about things, something's not right. Now, that doesn't mean that he always has to agree with you. He may have studied what you're looking at far more than you have and simply doesn't have that old tape or CD that you got that idea from. No sinful human man is above criticism in the absolute sense. Only Christ could say, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But a man who aspires to the eldership must in great measure 
be an example of the things that follow in this list. That's why he can be called blameless. Does that make sense? Alexander Strauch says, quote, to be above reproach, blameless, means to be free from any offensive or disgraceful blight of character or conduct, particularly as described in verses 2 through 7. When an elder is irreproachable, critics cannot discredit his Christian profession of faith or prove him unfit to lead others. Close quote. This all has to be seen within the context of failing and sinful human nature. Jesus Christ is the only one that they could lie about and nothing could stick. But a man can live in such a way that people can lie about him and people will believe it. So the point is... As George W. Knight, the commentator, agrees that that a man is blameless in the sense of not open to attack or criticism. In other words, he doesn't live such a sloppy, sinful life that even the lost people in your community know there's something wrong with this guy. Knight goes on to say, He's not open to attack and criticism in terms of his Christian life in general and in terms of the characteristics that follow in particular. By God's grace, the pattern of the bishop's life conforms to both the general and specific characteristics and he is not objectively chargeable. Close quote. We'll discuss this a little bit more. I wanted to be clear before I stop. But we must approach this again very cautiously and very carefully with thinking, not knee-jerk reaction, not quick trigger. Hmm? No sinful human, no redeemed man is above criticism in an absolute sense. I have been criticized since I got here. Now, there are those who've been hateful, vicious, savage. And there have been those that have loved me enough to criticize me roundly. And it was painful. But I grew. And that's what it's supposed to do. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. Not every critic is worth listening to. Okay, so I just want everybody to know. (laughs) With all, whatever criticism you have, you may not be legit. Just because you can criticize. Everybody criticizes. It's the American way, right? I mean, why else do you think there are comment sections under stories in the news? Who cares what you think? I do. Right? That's America. When I first came here, I hadn't been here very long at all. And, and Brother Shelton was still here. And he, he was on the phone. And uh, he answered the phone and got this call while I was standing in his presence. <laughs> he, he said, yeah, yeah, he, he's here. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Pollard is. 
uh, is laboring with me. Quiet for a moment. And then, you know, it's, it's hard listening to just half of the conversation. But you can figure it out sometimes. And it, this, was, this, was the, uh, this was the bottom line. Pastor Shelton said, I know what he used to do, but Jesus saved him. Now, let me ask you, what kind of quality people do you think were in Ephesus? What kind of pagan lives do you, I mean, do you think they were, you know, Mr. Clean? Or had God saved them and therefore his life now becomes blameless if he faithfully walks with Christ? Yeah, that went on for a while, those kind of things. But, you know, that's exactly, that's the case. For, for those that are truly born of God's spirit, there's a before and after. Let me tell you what, my before picture was really ugly. And it's not anything to write home about now. But I can tell you, by the grace of God, I'm not who I used to be. And it's the same with every Christian. You are not what or who you used to be. Now, yes, let's tease this out just a little bit, then I will stop. The early church leader Chrysostom said, quote, Why then does he, Paul, say, speaking of himself, through evil report and good report? That's in 2 Corinthians 6. Speaks of himself as evil report and good report. Chrysostom says, Because it was not his life they assailed, but his preaching. Therefore, he says, through evil report. They were slandered as deceivers imposter, and impostors on account of their preaching and this because they could not attack their moral character and their lives. For why did no one say of the apostles that they were fornicators, unclean or covetous persons, but that they were deceivers, which relates to their preaching only? Must it not be that their lives were irreproachable, blameless? And you ought to know someone well enough that you would be shocked to think that the lie someone is telling you about them would be true. One of the big problems, friends, is we don't check it out. We'll let somebody say something negative about somebody else. Your first response should be at any time. Why are you telling me that? That's your first reply. Why are you telling me that? If you have a problem with this church member or the pastors or etc., etc., go talk to them as Jesus commanded you and work it out. When we stand there and listen to the lie, we've entered in to the devil's trap. Now, Calvin gives us this very helpful explanation, and this is where we'll stop today. He says, Now, by this word, if any man be blameless, 
He meaneth not that the ministers should utterly be without sin, for it is impossible to find any such. But there are faults of weakness, and there are faults which are heinous offenses in men. We may easily find men that serve God and have no blemish in their life that a man might cast them in his teeth and say, Thou art a thief, thou art a whoremonger, thou art a drunkard, thou art a blasphemer, or such like. So then, there may be infirmities as are found in all men. But yet there is no blemish that might hinder him that shall be called to this office from serving God faithfully and boldly finding fault with and reproving sin. So Jesus Christ, the head of the church, requires this of pastors. You must be blameless. You must have a life, though you may not like it. You may not like some of the things he preaches and teaches. But you cannot lay moral, moral, Infractions against him. Paul said to the believers at Philippi, listen carefully, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Now, this is another time when I get to ask the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that an apostle said, watch me, here's how to do it. You believe that? Oh, he was an apostle. He saw Jesus Christ. I haven't seen Jesus Christ. I mean, he knew Peter. He knew all these other guys. He had all these advantages. Paul knows that you have the same Savior who gives you the same spirit and gives you the same word and says, now watch me. This is what we're all called to. <clears throat> if you believe that and you wrestle with your own flesh, you'll have a little more mercy on other people. It's usually the self-righteous Pharisee that wants to sit back and, and make all the shots. Like I said, there are people that will love you and because they love you, they will say things to you that sometimes might be really painful. But that's exactly what you take to the Lord in prayer and learn to grow in. Because you're not like Christ. I'm not the spitting image of Christ. I have to tell anybody that here. Now, <clears throat> Paul also said, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Hear that? So read his letters. Learn him and realize that's, that's the way to go. Because he's following Christ. Follow me as I'm following Christ. Peter wrote, the elders that are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. You can't just sit and say, I don't like this. I don't like that. Is it the word of God? Has it been handled properly? You've heard from Jesus. And that poor pathetic vessel of dust is doing what he can to follow behind Christ. <clears throat> Falling on his face regularly under his cross, but always knowing the pleasure of Christ lifting you back up and keeping going. 
The apostle charged Titus in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. That's blameless. You better know your doctrine. You better know how to preach it. And you better be able to say, you know what? I used to teach this this way. And I actually was wrong about that. You can't do that. You don't belong in a pulpit in a pulpit because there aren't any perfect pastors. <clears throat> and the men, some of the men that have impressed me the most over the years, even though there were certain things about them I didn't particularly like, they were men that could stand in the pulpit and say, I used to teach this. Or they could put it on the internet and say, I used to teach this. But I was wrong. So, brethren, a man must be blameless if he's going to be an elder. Jesus requires it. And now, God willing, having some idea that it doesn't mean a perfect man, but that it is a man that in some way fulfills all of the things that follow in the list, if those things are identifiable in his life, he's blameless. And he's a man that is at least qualified to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank thee for thy grace and thy mercy. We thank thee for thy love and thy kindness. Now, I thank thee for thy dear children. I, I thank thee, I especially thank thee for those who have loved me and reproved me. And Father, I thank thee for those who, without much love, have criticized. It has been a great help for me to sit and to think and to realize my fallibility. Father, I do pray that thou wouldst take each of those that are here and grow us. We're going to be in the image of Christ, but we're not there yet. But may our Christ shine through our lives enough that it may be seen we walk with him. Oh, may the glory and honor of Christ Jesus fall upon this congregation. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.